Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. Could we have imagined how bad things could get under President Biden? Couldn't we have imagined Joe Biden could conjure up so many challenges, threats, in just over a year in office? Not all of his own making, certainly, but most. The pandemic was raging as he campaigned for the presidency, and he, at every opportunity, stayed at home to campaign. He watched as the summer of 2020 became a season of street violence, protests, riots, arson, and the nation watched it all for six months. George Floyd, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, as riots spread and violence overtook the summer. And while most of the country was captivated by the violence in Milwaukee and Seattle, Louisville, Atlanta, New York City, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Portland, and Kenosha, absentee ballots and mail-in ballots were being printed, ready to do their part in the presidential election of 2020, an election President Trump warned us all was being rigged by the left and influenced by both the COVID virus pandemic and the surge of civil unrest and violence, which in retrospect appears to not have been entirely coincidental. Not at all. And it turns out there may have been external forces at work in the vandalism, violence, riots, and arson in the run-up to the election of 2020. All those forces may have originated, in fact, in Russia. Not working for Donald Trump, as the Democrats pretended for the previous five years, but working to create more disruption and street violence in an election year, trying to create as much chaos as possible in pursuit of what Putin and Russia were seeking and still do, a civil war in the United States. That's the view of our guest, former senior intelligence analyst for the CIA and the DIA, Rebecca Koppler. She's the author of the important new book, Putin's Handbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America. Rebecca has written, in my opinion, a masterful, fascinating book that is timely, and with the crisis in Ukraine, a prescient book as well, which we recommend to you highly. Rebecca Koppler, we are delighted to have you on the show with us. Welcome. Thank you, Lou. It's such a pleasure to be here with you and your audience today. Well, they're a great audience, and they're going to love this book, and they're going to love listening to you today. Uh, I want to start uh, with a, a development today. Roman Abramovich, uh, famous Russian oligarch entrepreneur, uh, and two of Ukraine's peace uh, negotiators or representatives suffering suspected poisoning at the very outset of the talks between Russia and Ukraine. Now, that wasn't very nice of someone, was it? Absolutely not, Lou, but uh, it's a standard tradecraft, Russian intelligence tradecraft, poisonings, assassinations, intimidation. Uh, this is a tactic called 
active measures. It's unique to Russian intelligence and it includes a really atrocious um, tactic also called wet affairs, which is actually assassinations and uh, killings. And so there's nothing new. We know Putin authorizes these. It's very consistent with uh, his previous behavior. And Putin seems to have a, a preference, if you will, for poison uh, as a tool of assassination. Uh, am I incorrect in making that assumption based on just the, the incidents of assassination and attempted assassinations we've had over the years? You're 100% correct, Lou. Uh, poison has been um, a centuries-old uh, tactic that the Russians used even back, you know, during the Tsar's times, but certainly during the times of uh, Red Terror, uh, Vladimir Lenin, uh, Joseph Stalin, all the way to Vladimir Putin have used poisonings, uh, but the most recent ones are the poisonings of Julia and Sergei Skripal. Sergei Skripal was a uh, former GRU officer. GRU is a Russian military intelligence. Uh, and uh, Skripal at that point was already in Great Britain, right? And, uh, and the one before that was Alexander Litvinenko. So Skripal got poisoned with a military grade nerve agent developed in the Soviet Union called Novichok, and Alexander Litvinenko, the former FSB officer, uh, Russian domestic security, he was poisoned uh, with polonium-2010, a radiological um, agent. So these are brutal deaths or brutal suffering that uh, this type of stuff causes. I was I was surprised to see this uh, story break today uh, because it, it just seems to me that Putin's affinity uh, for poisoning and for uh, disrupting a process before it can even really begin uh, begins uh, is it's just part of his history. Uh, apparently that these uh, Ukrainian representatives never dreamed that he would poison them if indeed that's what happened or uh, Abramovich. Uh, which is an interesting way to find out Abramovich was actually participating uh, in these uh, uh, talks, at least uh, uh, in an ancillary fashion. Uh, are you surprised that the, the, their guard was not up more? Um, I am surprised, uh, Lou, but the thing is the Russians are so highly trained in this uh, type of uh, tradecraft. Um, active measures that it is so difficult to spot. And some of these things are super difficult, or most of them actually, are very difficult to diagnose. Um, this is why uh, Litvinenko, Alexander Litvinenko died in Great Britain because um, the doctors simply don't have experience with this stuff since this is military grade developed specifically by the Russian military. And uh, he was just basically ailing and dying over the course of just a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew, you know, what was ailing him. And it took, you know, it was by the time that they actually figured it out, it was way too late. And um, so, yes, I can't really blame, you know, Abramovich or the Ukrainian um negotiators for potentially missing some signs. It's very difficult to spot. Yeah. I, I want to 
point out to everybody listening, we're talking with Rebecca Koffler, the author of this tremendous new book, uh, Putin's Playbook. Uh, it is Russia's secret plan to defeat America. Uh, it is revelatory. It is fascinating. And furthermore, her analysis takes us into the current uh, events. Uh, if, as you read her description of the preference on the part of Putin uh, in, in dealing with uh, an issue, a political issue like NATO's encroachment, uh, his response, and over some years coming to the realization, as she said he would, that he would have to, to do something and strike first, and he did. Uh, I, I have to commend you for that, Rebecca. I mean, it's, uh, this was written well before Ukraine, and uh, you absolutely nailed it. Uh, your thoughts about uh, the, the analysis, the timing, uh, and the decision by Putin to make you look awfully, awfully smart. <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, I'd rather not be smart, but uh, this is what happened. We're now uh, having... Putin's playbook uh, unraveling right in, in front of our eyes. Right. And I wrote this book, when I was writing this book, I knew something like that would happen because I just saw the writings on the wall. Putin never made it a secret. Uh, every single speech, every single press conference, every strategic planning document, uh, military doctrine, national security strategy, um, every field manual, if you will, you know, military modernization was pointing to the fact that he was developing what he called an asymmetric strategy. And all we had to do is listen, uh, Lou, but Washington security quote unquote experts um, completely reject anything that doesn't fit into the mental uh, framework. And so I was warning when I was DIA intelligence officer for Russian doctrine and strategy, I was continuously warning about uh, Putin and what he was planning to do. And those warnings uh, fell on deaf ears. And then I wrote the book to warn my fellow Americans um, and DIA and CIA were trying to sabotage the publication of this book. And uh, they redacted a bunch of it. So when I wrote it, I didn't know how soon it actually will happen. I knew it would happen one day. What we're seeing today, I didn't know just how soon it was going to happen. I'm just curious, Rebecca, how long uh, between the time you wrote the book and turned it over uh, to the intelligence uh, uh, auditors, if you will, uh, how long did they have it in their hands and therefore uh, how long did they delay publication of the book? So there was supposed to be, um, they promised within 30 days to turn around a manuscript. Uh, when I submitted it to them, they I spoke with them actually on the phone uh, to confirm First, they lost it, of course, uh, typical government, even though I sent a priority <laughs> mail and everything. Oh, I, I know. It's like, you know, you can't make the stuff up. So uh, then they found it and said, oh, we're going to assign the case and, uh, and uh, we're going to, you know, go through this. And then I didn't hear from them for months. Lou. And I oh. sent them emails. I sent them priority mail. Um, um, mail 
you know, uh, letters, requests. Uh, we had to scrap the publication, the first publication date. So eventually, I think it was like six months later, I was basically telling them, look, I have a contract here. I have a book contract. Not that they care because the government lives in the La La Land. Uh, they don't care about any kinds of contracts or any laws for that matter. And we, we've seen that, right? Um, so it was more than six months. Then they came out, out of the woodwork and claimed they never received any single email from me. Okay, mm -hmm. everyone else receives email, including you, Lou, right? Or your producer, <laughs> but the government did not. And then they started the uh, process. Uh, they gave me 31 pages worth of redacted text hoping that I would start negotiating with them because there was some ridiculous, you know, stuff that they claimed was classified. And uh, I wasn't going to negotiate because if I did not honor that publication date, this book would have never, you know, been published. And we right. were very close. And so my publisher said, okay, we're just going to go with these redactions then because uh, otherwise this book will never see the day of light. And, um, and that's what happened. Well, it was a great decision by Regnery uh, to do that uh, because the redactions, while it's, it's a fascinating guessing game for any, any reader, uh, you know, I enjoy trying to figure out what might have been in that context at that moment uh, <laughs> as you're writing it. But what is unredacted is so revelatory and, and so uh, crisp uh, in conveying uh, your meaning and the and the sense of what the Russian intelligence apparatus and culture is all about, uh, as well as of course the leadership, uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, it, it's a, it's just a fascinating read, uh, and uh, I I just uh, I can't wait for Regnery to get the those that uh, that book back in stock so people can read it because it's it's fascinating. I, I want to turn to a, a couple of points within the book. Uh, and, and that is, uh, as we watch what happened in uh, in Poland uh, and in uh, in Belgium, uh, we, with President uh, Biden, over the last uh, four days, I, I mean, it's just it's just sickening to see a president of the United States perform as he did. He had at least four, perhaps five, mistakes of language whether it was his ad lib uh, about regime change in which he said that uh, this man cannot remain in power, uh, whether it was his remark to the 82nd Airborne in which he uh, conveyed the impression to those uh, soldiers that they would be uh, dropping into Ukraine at uh, any moment in the next week or so, it seemed. Uh, and that had to all, of course, be corrected. Uh, he, he is came dangerously close to being, I, I think, honestly, provocative uh, toward uh, Putin, who he also called a butcher for crying out loud, hardly presidential. You're, I, I just can't wait to hear your thoughts about this. Of course, while well, President Biden, uh, regretfully, has given every signal to Putin that um, that indicated that the United States is an existential threat to Russia, triggering potentially 
the use of nuclear weapons that is uh, codified in Russian military doctrine. The reason I say existential threat, it's because it's one of the requirements about which Dmitry Peskov, uh, Putin's press secretary recently reminded us, remember when he was asked by Christiana Mampour of, of CNN, who was uh, asking him to rule out the use of nuclear weapons, which Peskov didn't. So uh, regime change uh, is, uh, what is it if it's not existential threat? And also Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia recently uh, told us that the Russians actually view sanctions as a method econom of economic warfare by which the United States and the West wanna strangle and, and annihilate Russia. Okay, so wittingly or unwittingly, Joe Biden has just triggered potentially a nuclear war. And the topic of regime change is really nothing new uh, for the Russians because they've seen this happen in Afghanistan, in Iraq uh, with Saddam Hussein and in, in uh, Libya with Muammar Gaddafi dying at the hands of their own people. Mm -hmm. And so they believe that it's simply a Freudian slip uh, by Biden. And they suspected for years that that was official Washington policy was, and Biden simply confirmed what they already suspected. And you know, when you project that out to, uh, uh, to the Middle East, uh, and I'm not talking about just the Arab uh, intelligentsia, if you will, uh, uh, the the Arab street is is getting bombarded with this stuff uh, about uh, Biden uh, talking first of all making it sound like another slip of the tongue a slip of truth uh, that an incursion a minor incursion into Ukraine would be just fine at that press conference a month or so ago uh, and you recall that and now you have these so-called slips of the tongue. Uh, in which he talks about, uh, you know, again, provocatively, uh, our soldiers dropping in, uh, threatening regime change, and the list goes on. Uh, this begins to look like a purposeful, deceitful uh, uh, a string of, uh, of intentional statements of truth designed to provoke. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but that could all, I think, legitimately be inferred by, by Russian intelligence, do you not? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the Russians are culturally predisposed to worst case scenario, right? Every single action taken by us, even if it's defensive, they interpret it as offensive because they place it in the context of what happened previously, what the United States has done, and also in the context of what happened uh, in Russia. So Russia hi history is full of wars. It's a war-torn history uh, with turmoil. They sacrificed 20 million people in World War II alone. And um, they watched the United States for the past 20 years conduct military operations in Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, Kosovo. Kosovo was the first one that right. shook uh, Putin 
and therefore they have concluded that uh, the US is what they call a high risk actor, right? And because we have superior military, uh, we engage in conflict relatively easily or pretty easily according to Russian intelligence. And therefore they have concluded that sooner or later, a war between Russia and the United States is inevitable because our interests are on a collision course um, between the two countries, right? We're fighting over the same territory, the post-Soviet space in Eurasia, countries like Ukraine, Georgia, Belarus, that Putin believes uh, belong to his sphere influence. And he seeks to enforce his version of the Monroe Doctrine over these countries. And the Washington believes that these areas uh, belong to us and we should uh, quote unquote democratize them. And there's an official long-term bipartisan uh, policy that used to be highly classified that um, we will do everything to prevent Russia from emerging as a dominant power in right. Eurasia. And the Russians know it. And when they know that the, or they believe that the war is inevitable, they interpret every single action through that prism. And so a war, an actual shooting war is right now very, very uh, probable based on miscal potentially miscalculation or misinterpretation by either Washington or Moscow of each other's moves, intentions, and uh, you know, upcoming activities. Yeah, I, I truly believe that, the, that President Biden has escalated that probability. I think it existed irrespective of the language that he used in, in Europe in his recent trip. But he escalated with his language, I think, the probability uh, uh, significantly. I'll put it that way. I, I can't imagine it being otherwise. Uh, I, and I talked with uh, several military analysts, as you would expect on this show. Uh, and amongst them, uh, Colonel Doug McGregor, who was a uh, former uh, chief of staff at the uh, Defense Department, uh, is also uh, 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 General Keith Kellogg. Both men have a very, uh, I think, real politic view of the world. And we're discussing and trying, and this is my inference, it isn't necessarily what they said, but it's what I inferred from what they said. They were trying to get uh, a certain audience in Washington, D.C. to understand uh, that the analog to this situation would be if we were watching this happen in Mexico or Cuba uh, ourselves, and how would we react with that level of prox uh, proximity and uh, contiguous uh, relationship uh, to an unfriendly government that is Ukraine because they are trying to move toward NATO. Uh, do you think that's a reasonable way to, uh, to look at it? 100%. Um, look, what we right now are not getting from the mainstream media is the primary driver for Putin's actions in Ukraine, which is a purely military calculation. Um, imagine this, the distance between St. Petersburg, which is the second largest city in Russia, mm -hmm. and NATO forces back during the Cold War was 1,000 miles. And today, with NATO's um, acceptance of 
the Baltics, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, that distance has reduced to 100 miles. Right. That's a shorter distance than between Washington and New York. No military leader would accept that type of proximity between um, rivals or even adversaries. I mean, remember, the Russians declared in their military doctrine that the United States and NATO are security threat number one uh, for them. And NATO was originally created with the sole purpose of neutralizing you know, the uh, Soviet threat. Right, so they don't believe this whole rhetoric about democracy and all of these things because they know if, if we did, you know, care about democracy, we would have made sure that our country remains democratic. And uh, today there are all kinds of signs, you know, for someone like me who came from undemocratic country, you know, the USSR from the Soviet Union. Uh, it's very clear that freedom of speech is no longer a given and all these other signs, right? So that's why Moscow does not buy this whole democracy thing. And, um, and that's why uh, Putin having drawn a red line on Ukraine with regard to NATO, um, he decided to actually enforce it. And uh, he decided to sort of give Washington the taste of its own medicine, if you will, in terms of the uh, Monroe uh, doctrine mm -hmm. uh, enforcement. It's, it's interesting that the Obama administration, uh, and I want to say it was in 2011, basically unilaterally and without discussion, uh, at least uh, public discussion at all, unequivocally dropped the Monroe doctrine uh, and, and walked away from it. Uh, when, uh, and at the very same time that Russia was making greater inroads into Venezuela, uh, mm -hmm. also into Cuba, uh, and it, there is this peculiar imbalance of information between what is happening, what is happening in, of course, of our own uh, news outlets, corporate news outlets, mainstream media, if you will, uh, and, and what our government is saying. We are bombarded by disinformation from our own government uh, for partisan purposes uh, and for the purpose of the purposes of the permanent bureaucracy or deep state, if you will. Uh, am I incorrect in that uh, in that judgment? Oh, you're 100% correct. Uh, look, my own book, you know, Putin's playbook, uh, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America, was uh, banned from being advertised by Regnery, my publisher, on Amazon. And uh, there was a very ridiculous explanation that was given by Amazon to my publisher. It was something that, uh, like uh, books that... Um, are about natural disasters or wars or something like that are not allowed to be advertised. It was so absurd, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I was the target of censorship myself. But then also remember, um, recently we had books canceled like uh, Dr. Seuss's books, right? And uh, a whole right. bunch of other you know, authors who served, you know, previously in the former President Trump's administration were not even 
uh, able to find uh, book contracts. They were precluded by mainstream publishers from working with them. And so, um, and, you know, Joe Rogan, remember what happened with sure. Joe Rogan? He simply had Dr. Malone, you know, uh, being hosted on the podcast. And Dr. Malone is not some charlatan. He's a medical doctor, right? And a genius to boot. Uh, exactly. And it's simply his views did not align with the groupthink or with what I call the party line, which is what we had back in the Soviet Union. And so censorship is now an unfortunate reality in uh, my adopted homeland, uh, which I completely just, you know, I don't understand and I fear very much because I came here for freedom not to be, you know, again, ruled by another big brother, which is the uh, big tech right now, that yeah. the Soviets could only dream of such capabilities. Too many Americans think of the distinction between totalitarianism uh, and uh, an American uh, constitutional republic is really just a matter of geography, uh, some sort of coincident in the time, uh, space-time continuum, uh, almost accidental. Uh, when in fact there is a cultural, societal, uh, historic imperative uh, uh, and arc uh, that uh, drives both to their to their realization, uh, and I really think, and it's a shame. It's almost as though that's being taught in, uh, through some form of indoctrination in our country. I'm fully aware of the Marxist bent in uh, indoctrination in our public schools and our universities and colleges. But it, it strikes me uh, as odd uh, that uh, people don't have a higher regard uh, for the liberties we have. I always get a little uh, anxious, I guess, when people start talking to me about universal rights, when they talk about human rights, uh, because our Constitution, our rights in this country are not about being universal. They're not about being human. They are hard-fought, hard-won rights for the American people uh, and embodied, codified in the Constitution, which is unique in all the world. And there are so many people teaching history, teaching government, political science, uh, even philosophy, who real, will not acknowledge that reality. Uh, what is your reaction? I am, you know, in so, so much in love with American Constitution and the Bill of Rights, you know, it's just such a delight to know that, and it's probably like the only, the only document in the entire world that guarantees the, uh, its citizens the right to pursue happiness. I mean, it's just like, think about that. Like, I, I always just marvel at that fact. And um, and so we must do everything to preserve, you know, freedom of speech is 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 the sort of the 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 cornerstone of everything of democracy, right? And the plurality of opinion. Because once you eliminate plurality of opinion, you arrive at party line. Um, and you basically, if you eliminate certain things from language through political correctness, which is what's going on right now, right. or if you change the meanings of the words, such as man, woman, marriage, then you eliminate certain concepts even from the thought. And this is what the Soviets did, uh, Lou. They banned books. They banned 1984, anything by George Orwell. 
They banned Dr. Zhivago because they didn't want people to know an alternative view and only to see the world through the prism, through the eyes of the Communist Party. And this is what led to the collapse of the Soviet Union. And just to see that the same trend is happening right now, that we are completely like, you know, turned into, turned this country into like some uh, lunacy land by, look, uh, the, uh, the Supreme Court nominee could not explain what a woman was. I mean, you can't, how do you even, like this, like I can't, I'm stunned. It's, <laughs> so we are going into a completely wrong direction. And uh, unlike me, you know, um, and some other uh, Soviet Russian immigrants, we have nowhere else to go. This is still the best country in the world. Yeah. And if the leftists ruin this country, I don't know where else well, there's nowhere to go. Well, we're, the right in this country the conservatives in this country, the, the working men and women and their families, uh, our middle class, small business people have to understand this is now war. Uh, it is a disinformation war. It's a, a psychological operations war, uh, but it is a war with our very institutions, whether it be, as I said, the permanent bureaucracy within our government, uh, whether it be rhinos, uh, Democrats, radicals, uh, Marxist, socialists, uh, all aligned against the fundamental uh, institutions that made this country great. Uh, our legal system is absolutely corrupt. Uh, it is dysfunctional. Uh, and our judges, uh, to the Supreme Court even, are not functioning as they should. And uh, it is a very difficult time. Uh, the Republican Party itself, is its weight into what is supposed to be a a two-party political system renders it really a one-party political system because the rhinos uh, certainly are more than a countervailing influence against uh, legitimate conservatives and, and middle-of-the-road traditional Republicans. It's a very difficult thing to watch. And, and you've had the perspective of being born and raised in the Soviet Union, uh, coming to this country, immigrating to this country, and ending up being a very prominent uh, uh, official in our intelligence uh, community. Uh, it, it's I, I've got to I've got to invite you to do this, and I don't know if anyone has, but I would like for you to do an intelligence assessment, uh, top of the line, if you will, without a lot of rigor, uh, I guess. And it, uh, but I'd like to get just an assessment from you, uh, from the standpoint of a Russian intelligence officer, looking at what we're witnessing in this country: the division, the polarization, uh, the. Uh, the forces of the left that are attacking our institutions, dividing the country, and a president, a president, uh, while his party controls all three uh, major elements of our, our government, a president who is uh, impaired, that's the word I will use because I can't be clinical about it, uh, but he makes too many mistakes not to be impaired. I just, your, your assessment. Yes, well, in fact, I can simply repeat the assessment that the Russians uh, made about 10 years ago. Uh, they predicted, or one of the uh, Russian intelligence um, analysts predicted a civil war in the United States within 20 years, I believe. And that's because uh, the Russians saw all of these various trends uh, pointing to polarization and um, 
you know, divisions along racial lines, along immigration status, along, you know, uh, against the police. And uh, all of these divisions were spurred by, you know, the BLM and all kinds of leftists and people unwittingly like useful idiots, people on the left were supporting all these fraudulent groups, you know, like the BLM, which is the most racist organization out there. And it's a it's a Marxist type organization. Right. And so, and the Russians, once they noticed that, they started uh, advocating for these trends and amplifying them through disinformation on social media. And this is what happened during the 2016 election interference by the Russians. Um, they were working both sides, right? They were amplifying these divisions, trying to throw Washington into political dysfunction and cause social unrest, uh, foment disorder, disagreements, which they achieved. And ironically, the corrupt intelligence uh, officials in the Obama administration, uh, John Brennan, the former CIA director, James Clapper, former DNI, director of national intelligence, and James Comey, former FBI director, they produced uh, or orchestrated rather, they chose the uh, analyst whom they could manipulate and they orchestrated a fraudulent election uh, intelligence community assessment that concluded that the Russians interfered in the election to help Trump win presidency and harm Hillary Clinton. Well, that was science fiction. It was not just incompetence, it was a blatant lie to the American people. What the Russians were trying to do is cause all of this disruption, right? That that you described and I just um, uh, followed up. Uh, and so this is incredible. That is the assessments that the Russians made and they continue their actions to tear, to help tear our country apart in order to uh, make the civil war that they predicted a reality. And unfortunately, certain elements within our society are helping them. You know, look, Joe Biden himself, like he wanted to elect uh, the Saulia Amarava, the former, you know, Soviet born, Soviet trained right. uh, Marxist. He wanted to put her in charge, you know, of policy, of banking regulation policy. She would have appended our banking system as we know it. I mean, she is a um, communist sympathizer. And all of a sudden we have people like that, you know, like Bernie Sanders, like AOC, and all these other radicals uh, in our uh, government that are taking our country on a fatal path. Yeah, and uh, to that point, uh, she was not the first uh, communist sympathizer that the President Biden has put forth. He also has done the same thing uh, with his uh, appointment, his uh, nomination uh, of uh, Katanji Brown uh, Jackson. Uh, she is without question a hardcore leftist uh, who is supposedly going to be on the Supreme Court, will likely be for crying out loud. Uh, but she has, she's as far from mainstream, if there is such a thing anymore in American politics, as you can get. It's outrageous uh, to see what we we continue 
to tolerate in this country as a as a high government official, it's 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 sobering, if not downright frightening. Uh, I want to turn to the issue also uh, of of that disinformation campaign, uh, the the role of uh, our media. Is there an awareness in our intelligence apparatus of just how corrupt the national corporate-owned media is? And, and, and to what degree do they exploit that, uh, that fact, if, if they are? I am not sure, um, Lou, because the, the target of U.S. intelligence is red, so to speak, the adversaries. Right. So the intelligence community follows Russian, Chinese, and other you know, uh, disinformation, if you will, uh, trying to make assessments of what's true and what's not. They are not really following closely the U.S. information space. And in fact, when there were signs of uh, the Russians interfering in 2016 election and the intelligence um, agencies, or some of them were trying to reach out to the big tech, uh, Facebook and uh, other social media basically told them to, you know, go pound sand that uh, they didn't believe, they didn't believe anything. And so the, um, I don't believe there's awareness uh, that there's a single party line uh, storyline that's dominating right now, mass media. And uh, if you really have to learn something um, and everybody must, like you, you have to go to uh, do your own research to go to multiple sources and authoritative sources like, you know, like your podcast, like Dinesh D'Souza has one, you know, uh, Fox News is pretty good. Um, there, there, are, there are sources, but they are not, you know, mass media sources that, um, that have straightforward down the middle analytic line and straight reporting because journalism has changed. It's no longer, you know, unbiased uh, reporting the news. It's basically presenting the analysis and the bias of the journalist that's writing that news. Rebecca, I, I have been fascinated uh, talking with you today. I hope you will come back soon and we can continue our conversation. It is our tradition on this uh, podcast. We always give our guests the, the last word. Uh, and if I could ask you to include within that last word of yours, uh, some suggestion as to how you think Ukraine will play out. Sure, well, the first, um, I wanna mention that the United States has two types of threats right now. One is the external threat, and that is presented by authoritarians like uh, Xi Jinping, you know, the Chinese leader, uh, Vladimir Putin. They're not exactly directly um, trying to present a military threat to the US, you know, not like they're gonna attack us or anything, but they presented, um, a threat by challenging our interests, challenging and um, um, our allies' security uh, perimeters. 
And so they're also trying to stir a revolution, if you will, or a social unrest through various means and uh, in our country and transform our society from a um, capitalist free society into a socialist, you know, government controlled nightmare that they themselves represent. So, uh, and then the second threat, so that those threats come from, from outside, but this second one is internal threat, and that is a threat of socialism. That's a, a horrific system that I fled, I lived through and fled, and it's not all about the free stuff. Uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding about this system in um, America, particularly among the young people who no longer learn history in public schools, and um, they are enamored with this um, with the system which they don't understand. It's a it's a total government control. Uh, everyone is equal except people who are in the government. <laughs> they have everything. Uh, the rest of the people have uh, nothing. This is what that system is all about. And uh, that's kind of my uh, closing line at the, the big picture, the geopolitical uh, picture with regard to Ukraine. What I envision happening is that uh, because Putin cannot really win this war decisively, unlike what he was hoping and unlike what his military intelligence uh, was briefing them, he cannot achieve his primary goal, and that was toppling Ukraine and decapitating the Zelensky government very quickly. So that's not going to happen as long as we help Ukraine. So I see this uh, dragging on as a uh, grinding, protracted conflict uh, where many more lives are lost. And unfortunately, this type of goal suits Putin because if there's no territorial integrity and sovereignty in Ukraine, then they cannot not become NATO member. And that is Putin's goal, is to prevent Ukraine from joining the West and joining NATO. So that's my unfortunate pessimistic um, um, outcome of this uh, conflict right now, of this war by Putin on Ukraine. Well, we thank you for that assessment. And uh, we also understand uh, that it is a, a, a war that uh, on that basis would not evolve into a larger conflict, which uh, means there is at least uh, some, some political and rational impetus for both sides in this to uh, pursue a status quo that's, well, repugnant to both sides, I suppose, is the way to put it. Uh, Rebecca, I've enjoyed talking with you. As I said, please come back soon. Her book is Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America. I urge you to read this book. It is, it is fascinating. Uh, it is prescient and, as I said, revelatory and uh, spot on uh, for the times in which, unfortunately, uh, uh, we have to contend with all of these issues that Rebecca has laid out in it. Uh, Rebecca Koppler, thanks so much for being with us. We will continue to uh, recommend your book highly and uh, look forward to our next discussion. Rebecca Koppler, her book is Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America, available at Barnes & Noble and Regnery.com. 
That's Regnery.com, R-E-G-N-E-R-Y.com, Regnery.com, a remarkable book. And I want to let you know we'll have a special guest for you next week. We're delighted to tell you President Donald Trump will be back with us next week, next Tuesday. That's April 5th for President Trump right here on The Great America Show. Please be with us. And please be with us tomorrow when we'll be talking with Congressman Troy Nels of Texas, an America first great American. You'll enjoy hearing from him, I assure you. We want to invite you to sign up for our Great America Show Advisory and Newsletter. Simply go to LouDobbs.com, that's LouDobbs.com, and click on the email newsletter button. It's as simple as that. And we'll send you our advisories and alerts as well as our weekly newsletter. I don't want to overstate anything, but I'm pretty sure you will absolutely sense at least a small positive change in your world outlook. We invite you to join us and stay in touch. Thank you. That's LouDobbs.com. Thanks, God bless you, and God bless America.